Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're diving back into our series, The Book of Acts. We've been in this series for quite some time now. We're going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, and there's a lot of chapters left. I get the feeling we won't be able to finish the entire chapter, but we will come back to it so that we can finish the entire chapter. But um, we're not ending it right now. We're going to continue to go, but I want to dive into where we left off. We left off in chapter 4 with the apostle Peter and the apostle John going into the temple and healing a man who had been lame for, the Bible tells us, more than 40 years. And the temple in that time was the place you met God. We hold church in high esteem in our culture and in our day and time. But for the Jewish person in that time, the temple was the pinnacle of, of, of godliness. It was the place where you met God. They believed the presence of God dwelled within that temple. And so here was a man who stood, who, excuse me, laid outside that temple for 40 plus years. And in a moment when the church was birthed and God filled his disciples with the Holy Spirit, Peter and John are walking through and they pray for this man who had been laying there lame for over 40 years. And God heals the man. And everybody sees it and everybody knows God has done something amazing. There's only one problem with that. The religious leaders of that day were jealous of what was happening. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the, the temple was led by Sadducees. You remember in the, in the gospel, there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Where the Sadducees were the religious leaders who did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. They believed when you died, that was it. There was no eternity. You weren't going anywhere. It was, that was it. That's where you, that's, you're, you were over in that moment. And so here you have Peter and John, not only did they pray for a man and a man get healed, but now they are saying that the reason this man got healed was because of the resurrection of the Messiah that they didn't even believe in. And so the religious leaders come and they storm them and they start telling them, if you keep preaching about this guy and they're threatening them and they're warning them. And I love Peter's response. Peter's response was, should we obey God or should we obey man? And they continue to preach. And the religious leaders of that day, they knew if we do anything else right now, we're going to start a riot. So we're going to leave them alone. So this is where we pick up our story. Because Peter and John leave this place knowing persecution is beginning. Knowing that they're going to get in more trouble because they're preaching this gospel. And they're overthrowing the religious system of this day. And they go back to the other followers, the other disciples and they tell them about what happened. And I want you to see how the other followers of Jesus responded to this. Acts chapter 4, verse 24 says this. When they heard the report, <coughs> excuse me, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Let's pause right there. They see a problem coming. They see an issue beginning. And the first thing they did was not go and tell everybody else about it. 
The first thing they did wasn't isolate and take some time so they can try to figure things out. The first thing they did was they went to God in prayer. Church, when you're faced with problems and obstacles in your life and challenges, where's the first place that you go? Is the first place you go to turn to something that maybe you shouldn't turn to or to turn to someone that maybe you shouldn't turn to? We see here that their first response was to go right to God with their problem. And not only did they go to God with their problem, but they went to God acknowledging who God was. They said, oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. In other words, they're talking to God, not for a counseling session. This is not like Dr. Phil therapy time. They're going to God because they know he's in control of everything and he can do something about their problem. See, there's moments when we should pray prayers that we're venting to God. How many of y'all ever had those moments where you're just venting to God? If you haven't, you should try it sometime. There are those moments when you're like, God, I'm mad at everybody. I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't like my boss. I don't like my employees. I don't like my children. David, King David in the Bible, he had moments like this. He would go to God, God, I'm killing them all. We're going to kill everybody. And there's moments to have like that with God where you're just brutally honest with how you feel and where you're at. But in this instance, in this moment, this moment, this, these disciples, they went to God because they knew that they needed their help to come from the God of the universe. And they needed him to do something about it. God can do something about the things that we're praying. We're not just throwing stuff in the air. We're not, we're not just throwing seed up and hoping that something plants. When we pray, we're intentionally putting seed in the ground and it will produce something. Verse 29. Oh, it says, and now, oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Don't you think about this for a moment. The reason why they were in trouble was because of their boldness. Now here they are asking God for more of that. They're asking God, God, give me bold, give us more boldness to continue to do what is right. And sometimes it's good for us to pray prayers like this. God, I want to be a witness for you. God, give me the boldness to say the hard truth to that person because I know they won't hear it. God, give me the boldness to tell the truth in the face when everyone else is lying. Help me be honest. God, when everyone around me seems to be compromising, help me stand firm in your truth. Give me the boldness and the courage to do it knowing that it may not turn out good. That's the kind of prayer that they were praying. Lord, give me the boldness to continue to do this. And I found this, that oftentimes when you, when you ask God for boldness or you're asking God to help you when you're afraid, he doesn't always just remove the fearful feeling. Sometimes he gives you the strength to do it in spite of the fearful feeling. Sometimes you face adversity with your knees knocking, scared to death. You may look strong, but on the inside you're going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. But he'll give you the bonus to do it even in face of that. 
There's a great book out by Joyce Myers, and I bought it for a number of my family members, and I love the title of it. It says, Do It Afraid. Just because we're afraid, it doesn't change the fact that we need to do it. And God will give us the boldness to do this. And I want to encourage you with this. As you're praying for miraculous things, some of you are praying for things that seem so impossible. God is able to do the impossible. As a pastor, sometimes I get the privilege of sitting down with people and hearing them tell me, I thought this would never happen. I thought this was impossible. And I prayed for God to do a miracle. And I get the joy of hearing them say, God did the miracle. God did the miracle. Church, I want to encourage you, God can do the miraculous. Continue to ask him for it. Remember that when you, remember who you're talking to when you pray. And that's what they recognized. They said, oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. In other words, as big as this thing that we're facing is, you created everything. And if you're for me, you're more than everybody else against me. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Verse 30 says this, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They were facing persecution. They were facing jail. They were facing all of these things and they asked God for boldness and God filled them with the Holy Spirit and gave them courage. This is powerful. God literally shook the building that they were in. I don't know about y'all, but if this building shook, I'd be like, let's get out of here. (laughs) But God shook that place and filled them with the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of that was courage, was boldness. Some of you need to pray for boldness this morning to do what you know is right, to have the conversation that you know you need to have to stand up in that moment when everyone else is capitulating and backing down when you know the right thing that God wants you to do is that. Not what you know. Listen, I'm not talking about being confident in what you think. I'm talking about being confident in what God says. God filled them with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to take a bit of a turn in this message because this morning I believe what, what Scripture shows us is what's called a juxtaposition. And I'm going to explain what that means. Because the Bible is clearly juxtaposing two different sets of people here. And let me tell you what that word means. Juxtaposition, that's actually the name of this title. It's the juxtaposition. This is the definition of, of that word. It says, the act or an instance of placing two or more things side by side, often to compare or contrast or to create an interesting effect. So when you juxtapose something, you take one thing and something different than that thing and you put them up against one another and you compare them. It's like if you were to take um, a a beautiful, original Picasso painting and you you put it on one side and then you take that thing that you colored for your mom for Mother's Day in third grade and you put it up here and you compare the two. They both are on paper. They both have colors, but that's about where it stops. You're comparing them. It's a paradox. It's, you're, they're, they're two different things, and you're comparing them 
for everyone to see. That's what the Bible does in these next two chapters. It takes two sets of people and compares them for us to see the distinct difference between the two of them. Now, these two sets of people that I'm gonna talk about, they all went to the same church and they were all doing the same stuff. But one set God is honored and pleased with and the other set he judges. This is a clear juxtaposition that scripture shows us to help us, I believe, see our heart. To see our heart. This is what the Bible says in Acts chapter four, verse 32. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So what happened? This church is now birthed and they're extremely generous. They're going and they're selling property. They're selling like not liquid assets, hard assets, things that they own, maybe even retirement stuff. They're doing all of these different things. Inheritance is because they want to provide for those in need. So what was happening? Was it just like, okay, they had a revival of compassion and they wanted to help their community in need? It, I believe it was more than that. That happens and God does that. God uses our church to help those in need. But I believe there's something more significant what's happening. If you go back, remember on the day of Pentecost, there were people from all over the world who would come. And they saw the Holy Spirit come down, clothed in tongues of fire, the disciples praying in an unknown tongue, right? And then they all heard it in all of their different languages. They all heard these things. And they got born again and the church was birthed. The Bible tells us over 3,000 people were born again in that moment. I believe some of those people stayed there. They said, God, if you're here and you're doing this and you're moving like this, I'm not going back home. So I'm going to plant my life here where I see you doing something miraculous. Those people probably didn't have jobs because they left everything to come and be a part of this. That was a need. Also, probably in, well, in Jerusalem in that time, probably one of the biggest employ, employers was the temple for the Jewish person. And so there were tons of temple jobs that the Jewish people would do and they would have and they would sell merchandise and they would do this or they would work at the temple and all of these different things. Only problem is when Christianity was being birthed, they weren't trying to distance themselves from the Jews, but the Jews were very much distancing themselves from the Christians. And so some of them probably lost their jobs and there was a need there. And the church stepped up and said, we're gonna meet that need. And this was not like the apostles getting up and preaching a good giving message and everybody felt guilty and okay, all right, here, Pastor Gabe. No, these people wanted to do this. They weren't being asked to do this. They did this because they saw a need and they wanted to meet that need. That's what was happening. They were, they were generously giving. They weren't forced to do that. They did it because they wanted to. 
And they were literally, one translation says, they brought the money to the apostles' feet. They didn't put it in their hands because they weren't giving it to the apostles. They laid it at their feet so that the apostles could give it out to those who had a legitimate need. Now, the Bible goes on to tell us about one man in particular that is highlighted in this moment that we're going to see a lot more of him in the New Testament. Verse 36, it says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Now, stop there just for a moment. thought it's unique that the, the, the apostles kind of did what Jesus did. Jesus would meet Simon. Yeah, Simon, your new name is Peter. And changed their name. So the disciples kind of got into the nickname game. They're like, yeah, Joseph, we're going to call you Barney. I know it was a cheesy joke, but you could have humored me a little bit better than that. But that word Barnabas, Bar means, Bar means son of. So when you see in the New Testament, they didn't have last names like us. Like Jesus Christ. Christ was not his last name. Christ was his title, the Messiah. But you would see people like Simon Bar-Jonah. It meant Simon, son of Jonah. So when they nicknamed him Barnabas, they were saying, you are the son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. And the Bible says he was from the tribe of Levi and he came from the island of Cyprus. And he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. One thing I want you to see about Barnabas is this. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. He encouraged with his giving. See, sometimes encouragement, when you encourage people, it's good to give them words because they need to hear those words and they need to be built up. There's also moments when you need to encourage people by helping to meet their need. And that's what Barnabas did. He encouraged by giving. Sometimes when you're going to encourage people, you have to do something. Because that word encourage means to give courage. You give them courage. You give them strength. You encourage them by doing something that helps them. Listen to me. If I'm drowning, if you see me in a pool and I'm drowning and you have a life vest, don't tell me how good I looked that morning. Throw me the life vest. If I'm struggling, don't tell me, hey, you, you, I can tell you've been working on your swimming. No, help me. And I believe that's what Barnabas said. There are times for words and then there's times for actions. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. And I believe he represents something. He represents the set of people, this first, this comparison, this first group of people who genuinely loved God and they wanted to do everything they could to please him. And if that meant helping someone else, then that's what they wanted to do. If that meant sacrificing for others, then that's what they were going to do. Because they just wanted to honor God and give him their everything. That's the first set of people. And that's what we see. But now I want you to see the second set of people. They were part of the same church in the same city, in many cases hearing the same stuff. But this next set of people did the same thing, but not get, did not get the same response from God. Verse, chapter five, verse one. Just the first word, I want you to see this. But, everybody say but. What does that mean? Why is it starting off with but? Because it's a continuing thought. 
Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think that the Bible was written in verses and chapters and we give weird meanings to stuff because the Bible said this chapter and this verse and that was the year I was born, so maybe that's my verse. The Bible was not written that way. The Bible was written as a letter or as a book, okay? Each each book in there was written as a continuing thought. So this one we see, chapter five is very much a link to chapter four because what the author of Acts is trying to do is to compare the two. In other words, he said, they did it this way, but this set of people did it this way. Again, verse one, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Now, what we're seeing here is the first recorded sin in the New Testament. I want you to remember that. That's very important because we're going to come back to that in a moment. And it wasn't some major overt sin. It wasn't like something that everybody would have known about. As a matter of fact, no one would have known about it had it not been for the Holy Spirit searching the hearts of his people. It was a hidden sin in the couple's heart that led to a public lie. Church, sin doesn't begin as a big action. It always begins in the heart. It always begins as a small heart attitude or it begins as a small little compromise within our heart or we start seeing things in a way that's different than how the Bible wants us to see it. That is what sin starts as. As a matter of fact, sin is an archery term. Sin is an archery term. When you're you're shooting archery and you're shooting an arrow at a target, if you miss the mark, that's called sin. When you get off of the way you were supposed to do it or the way it was supposed to happen in God's eyes, that's why it's called sin. Now there was, they sold property. I want you to see something. It was theirs. It was their property. They could have done whatever they wanted to do with it. And it wasn't about how much they gave. Church, there are people out there that will tell you, you've got, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to go sell everything you have and come. Listen, if God didn't tell you to do that, don't do that. If somebody tells you you have to do that, run because that's called a cult. Can I just say that and to be honest? That's called a cult. They weren't asking them to do this. They weren't requiring them to do this. As a matter of fact, as I preach this message, this is not a giving message. This is a motives message. This is a heart message. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to appear as if they gave it all. They wanted to look like they were fully surrendered to God. They wanted to be celebrated by all the people to say, look how spiritual we are. It was hypocrisy. It was faking it. And God knew their heart. And what happens next is one of the most sobering scriptures in all of the New Testament. I've been serving Jesus for over 20 years now, reading his Bible for over 20 years. And what we're going to read today is one of the most sobering, wake you up moments in all of the New Testament. Verse three, then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? 
You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Let me stop there for a moment. Because Peter acknowledges something. He acknowledged that the devil tempted him to do this. But the responsibility was still Ananias's. How many of you, some of my older people in the room, how many of you remember there was a TV show back in the day called The Flip Wilson Show? How many of you remember The Flip Wilson Show? Some of you are like, I am not old enough to remember that, even though I remember it very clearly. But Flip Wilson, he would do these sketch comedy routines, and in one of them, he would dress up like, the, I believe it was a church woman, and when she would do, she, he would do something wrong, and when they got busted, when he got busted, he would say, the devil made me do it. And that was his big kind of crescendo. The devil made me do it and everybody would laugh. Here's the problem. We do that too. We do something wrong and we go, the devil made me do it. Let me be very clear about what the Bible says. The devil does tempt us and he knows our weaknesses and he knows what to dangle in front of our eyes. But every time we bite, we are held accountable for it. Because the Bible tells us this, scripture tells us that God will always make a way out of our temptation. That means that no matter how intense the temptation is, how strong the temptation is, God himself will always open up a door and say, if you don't want to do this, there is a way out. There is a way out. And God is not a liar. It may not always seem that way, but if you look for the door, it's there. So because of that, we are always held accountable no matter how strong the temptation was. And I sit with different men in our church and on a couple of occasions, I've talked with them and they said, I just don't know why I did this. I don't understand why I did it. What led me to do this? I don't know. And I have to very plainly say, I know exactly why you did it. Pastor, why? Because you wanted to. Because you wanted to. Let's not misconstrue things. There are things that led to this. There are reasons why temptation is stronger in these areas. But the reason why we do them is because we want to. So the best thing for us to do in moments when we know we've blown it is to own it and go, God, I did this. Lord, forgive me. I'm fessing up to it. I'm being honest. This is where I'm at. Peter had to expose this in Ananias' heart. Verse Four says, well, let me go back to verse three. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. See, Peter had no way of knowing this except that the Holy Spirit knew. And I know we love to say this, God knows my heart. And we always say that in the good way when our hearts are good, God knows my heart. But conversely, God knows our heart when it's evil. God knows our heart when our intentions aren't pure. He knows our motives. And I know some of y'all right now are going, thank you, Pastor Gabe, for this very encouraging 4th of July message. <laughs> but it's truth. And I tell you, I'm telling you this in love. Because this is what produces life in us. 
the Bible says is God's goodness that leads us to repentance. The purpose of this message is not to lead anyone to guilt or to shame. That is not God's best for your life. It's not what God, it's not the ultimate goal that God wants for you. Condemnation is not his plan, but conviction is his plan. Leading us to change. We say it all the time, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. And God's plan is for us to not play with sin, but to turn and repent from it. For what I'm getting ready to tell you and show you the word says. Church, I have a question for you. Are we in this for God's pleasure? Or are we in this for the praise of man? When you do something, do you do it so that everybody around you will go, you are really spiritual? Or do you do it because you genuinely want to honor God? Do you do it because you genuinely want to praise him? See, Ananias and Sapphira, more than likely, they saw Barnabas being praised. And they saw all of these people coming, and it all looked great. And everybody was like, yes, this is a revival. God is doing something. This is great. And, and all of these people are being celebrated, the first set of people. And then they come in and say, well, we want to be celebrated like that too. We want everybody to think that we're holy and spiritual too. So we're going to do that. But we're not going to give everything. I mean, let's not be legalistic here. Can I just tell you, this is sobering and this is humbling. They want, I think we've all done this. We've all tried to appear more spiritual than we are to impress people. I've done it. I know I'm guilty of, I've done that. I'm a man with faults and flaws just like you. If you don't believe me, ask my wife, she'll tell you. She'll give you a good list of those things. God's plan for us is to repent of those things and to turn and to do it because we genuinely want to give him everything without excuses. God does not accept excuses. He accepts repentance. Let's keep going. Verse five, as soon as Ananias heard this, what? What did he hear? That his heart was exposed and that he had just lied to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about this was terrified. Then young, some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. In that moment, he fell dead. I told you this was going to be one of the most sobering scriptures in the Bible. And I want you to hear something. My heart, is, my heart is by no means to come in and try to condemn. That's not my heart at all. We've been following in this series. We've been reading this book. And I was not going to avoid this because I knew this would be good for us. My job is to be the messenger. It's not to soften what God's word says. It's to give you what God's word says. So in that moment, he felt that. How would you like to be known as that church? <laughs> That's the church y'all do serve days and people die there when they sin. <laughs> What's the point? There's a bigger point, bigger message, I believe, to be found. Yes, we're juxtaposing. Yes, we're comparing hearts. But I believe one of the bigger messages to be heard in this is that sin always leads to death. Sin leads 
to death. Remember the very first sin in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they ate the fruit that God told them not to. Sin entered the world. God told them, if you do this, you will surely die. And in that moment, they died spiritually, but eventually they died physically. And I believe that death was never supposed to enter the world. It did in that moment when they sinned. Death always leads, or excuse me, sin always leads to death. And this, as I mentioned earlier, is the very first sin recorded in the New Testament church. When the church was birthed, when Jesus ascended into heaven, right, and the disciples, they preached the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit came down, and the church was birthed. Nowhere else in the book of Acts before this point is a sin like this mentioned, because this was the first one, and sure enough to the pattern of sin, it instantly led to death. That is always sin's plan. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? A wage is when you go to your job, you work your job, and you earn your, your paycheck, right? When they bring you your paycheck, they didn't give that to you because they're nice, They gave that to you because you earned it. That's why they call it your wages. The Bible says that your earnings, your wages from sin is death. But then it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So freedom, forgiveness, it's a free gift of God. That's where that leads. But sin leads to death. See, sin is a corrupting agent. The Bible likens sin to yeast. When you're making bread and you get your dough together, you add yeast into one section of the dough and that little bitty packet of yeast permeates every area of that ball of dough. Why? Because that's what it does. It gets in and it it permeates the smallest amount. There's nothing not touched by that yeast. In our lives, sin is like yeast. You open a door and you give it a crack and it kicks the door down. You give it an inch, it takes a mile and it will keep you longer than you want to stay there and take you further than you want to go. It's a corrupting agent and its ultimate goal is death. I'm telling you this and the Bible gives us this clear picture because it does not want us to look at sin like it's a joke. Sin is not a harmless mistake. Sin is not an oops. Sin is a corrupting agent that leads us to death. And sometimes I think we underestimate sin. We treat it like it's a pet or it's our companion or or something cute when really it is the plan of your enemy to bring death to your life. Man, pastor, why are you telling us this? Because God loves you so much to deal with our hearts to help us see what this thing that we've kept in our lives for so long is really trying to accomplish in our lives. It's not just our decision, it is a plan. It is a well thought through strategic attack against the life that Jesus wants to give you. It always leads to death. Whether it's pride, whether it's lust, where there's lying, where there's envy, whatever it is, the end result of it is death. Verse seven, 
About three hours later, his wife, Ananias' wife, Sapphira, came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? I believe Peter was trying to give her a chance to repent. I believe that. I believe in that moment she could have said, no, Peter, I went along with it, but we didn't do that. That's not, we, we went along with it. That's not true. Let me fess up to the truth but she didn't. Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who bury your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. That's the end result of sin. Doesn't always happen instantly, but it's always its goal. And I believe another point to be made in this is in most cases, most cases, silence is agreement. When you see someone and, and, and they're actively living in that sin and you say nothing, you are silently agreeing with what they're doing. When you go along with that, when you should have spoken up or you should have said, I don't know about that, or maybe we shouldn't be doing that, you end up facing the same consequences as the originator of that sin. Church, do you love people enough to not cover their sin. And listen, I know the word of God says love covers a multitude of sin. That is true. There are times you have to be patient with people and walk with people, but that does not mean you silently agree with their wrong. And I remember hearing the Holy Spirit speak to me one morning, and this was so clear to me. I felt like the Lord said, son, I'm, I am way more patient with people than you are. But when I deal with people, my judgment is way more severe than yours is. Why? Because he's God and we're just reflections of his image. And I think we get into these, these moments where we just go, oh, it's okay. What they're doing is okay. That's all right. It's all right. It's not a big deal. When it is a big deal. And I'll tell you what I'm not advocating for. Please hear me when I say this. I'm not advocating for being the sin police. Walking around with your clipboard at church going, "Uh uh-huh, yep, stop, stop, stop. I'm not advocating for being the sin police. But what I am advocating for is loving your brothers and your sisters enough to tell them the truth when no one else will. And she had an opportunity to say, we're not going to do this. And I believe that what Peter was saying here is your heart went along with it. It was in your heart as well to do this. So because of that, she faced the consequence. But I believe she had a moment to repent of it and didn't take it. Why am I telling you these things? Because as a pastor, I see the results of these things. I see the results in in these counseling meetings and these times alone where I'm sitting with people who are trying to put their lives back together because someone decided to take the bait. When, when you sin against your spouse, your husband, or your wife, and you go out and you're unfaithful to them, and you, go, you, take, you, you take a bite of the treat, the bait of Satan that the enemy put before you, 
And you seem, it seems like everything is okay. I'm sitting back watching as these people cry and grieve and try to put things together, asking their mom or their dad, where's daddy, where's mama? See, no one sees that. You don't see the results of the sin whenever you isolate yourself because of pride and arrogance and I know better and nobody can tell me anything and you push yourself away from all wise counsel and then eventually the enemy starts eating your lunch because you knew better. I get to see the results of that. So if I'm saying these things as a warning to you, it's because God loves you enough to warn you from this get to be there when I see. And let me just say this. If you're struggling with an addiction in this church, please look at me. Please don't miss this. If you're struggling with an addiction, I commend you for fighting through it. I commend you for doing the necessary things to fight through this, even when it's hard. And as a church, we want to support you, and we're coming up with different things that we can do. We have transition homes that we're working on. We have addictions licensed counselors that we've hired to help you walk through these things. And if that's you, keep going, keep fighting. But if you're not, and you're just doing what you want to do because nobody can tell you otherwise... I sit in the back and watch people who lose loved ones because of someone else's problem. That you decided, I'm just gonna do this. I sit back and I watch wives grieve, wondering when is my husband ever gonna come home because he decided to love himself more than his family. If I'm telling you the truth today, it's because you need to hear it. Sin leads to death. Sin always leads to death. What is this story? Apart from it just being a juxtaposition, it is a clear picture of just what I'm saying. Sin's goal is death. Now, thank God he doesn't always kill us when we mess up. I probably would have been dead many times leading up to this moment. But that doesn't change the truth that its goal is always death. The goal of our sin is always death. Not just the overt kind, the secret ones in our heart that no one knows. The secret motives in our hearts that no one knows, but the Holy Spirit sees. And sees it very clearly. They wanted to be celebrated. Barnabas had a clear heart. I'm doing this because I love God. They did it because they wanted the praise of people. And God knew it, so they were willing to lie through the Holy Spirit in order to get that recognition. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. We're saved because of God's mercy. We're saved because of his grace, not because we're so great and we deserve it. God loves us. Yes, he does. But that gives us a clear picture of who he is, not who we are. We are here because of his love for us and his compassion for us and his grace towards us. He is merciful and good and he is holy. Don't miss that, please. Look up here. I know the worship team's coming up here. I don't want you to miss this. There's there's two pictures that oftentimes people preach one side of the other too much of who God is, but both are true. 
We have the side of, of the picture. We go, God is love. God is mercy. God is kindness. God is, God is all of those things. Can I just tell you, he is. Love is one of the most dominant traits of who God is. And he's patient and he's kind. But we cannot forget that there's another side of God as well. He is holy. He is righteous. He is a judge. And one day we will stand before that judge. We will stand before that judge. We cannot treat our sin as if it doesn't matter. It mattered enough for God to send his son to suffer on a cross for it. It matters. It matters. So pastor, what do I do? How do I respond to this? Three things, and then I'm going to tell you a story. The first thing you do is you ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and your motives. And we're going to take a moment, and we're going to end. We're not going to be too much longer. But we're, I want you to take a moment and ask him, Lord, will you search my heart? And let him reveal it to you. I'm not, again, I'm not advocating that you get super hypersensitive. I think I sinned here. I think I did there. I think That's not what I'm talking about. You let him deal with it. You let him put his finger on it and go, that's the thing I want to deal with. That unforgiveness, I want to deal with that. That bitterness, I want to deal with that. That lying tendency, I want to deal with that. That deception, I want to deal with that. That infidelity that you haven't told anybody about, I want to deal with that. Let him reveal it. The second thing is this, we repent. You repent of your sin and you ask God to forgive you because of the shed blood of Jesus. And that word repent many times has been used to be some harsh, hard word. It's not. Repent means to turn and to go in the opposite direction. It is his goodness that leads us to repentance. He gives us repentance as a gift because he loves us. And then lastly, if you say, Pastor, I've done those things. I've done those things. It just doesn't seem to change then it's time to take a drastic step. Get accountability. You get accountability. You expose what areas of your life that no one else sees. and no, You expose your heart to people, the right people. Because if you don't embarrass your sin, your sin will embarrass you. And I've heard my pastor say this many, many times. God can't heal what you won't reveal. God cannot heal what you refuse to reveal. So I'm going to end with the story and our worship team is going to lead us in a, a song and we're going to leave. It's a story of a young man named Dave. And this young man, Dave, was a partier. He was a wealthy kid. His parents would buy him vehicle after vehicle after vehicle after vehicle. He would wreck them and one night he's out at a party and he gets drunk and he's leaving that party and he's driving through the hills. He loses control of that vehicle and he gets off almost to the, the he goes, almost goes over the edge of the cliff, but he's at the cliff and he's kind of dangling and he's yelling and he's screaming. He sobers up and he's saying, help me, somebody help me. And a man sees the vehicle and he stops and he gets out. Dave can't get himself out of the vehicle, so the man somehow manages to pull Dave out before the vehicle goes, plummets, and it does. It plummets off that hill. 
Dave's life is saved. And he looks at them and he tells them, sir, thank you so much. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for getting me out of this. I'll do anything. What can my family's wealth and what can we do for you? The man looks at him and says, son, I saw all of the alcohol in your car. I smell it on your breath. The only thing that I want from you is to change. Change your life. Dave says, you got it. Yes, sir. I'll never be the same. I'll never do that again. And Dave does well for about two weeks and then he goes right back to his old lifestyle. And the next time he gets in a vehicle and he hurts someone else and he has to go stand trial for how he's hurt this family because of his drunkenness. And Dave walks into the courthouse with the best lawyer that money could buy. And he looks as the judge walks in and he recognizes that's the man that saved me. That's the man that pulled me out of that vehicle. I got it made. That man loves me. He, he, I, I'm, I'm, we're, we're home free. And he goes through the whole proceeding and he thinks everything is fine until he gets to the final judgment and the judge looks at him and he gives him the maximum sentence. And Dave looks at that judge and he says, sir, as the plaintiffs come, as they, as they come excuse me, to bring him off, he says, sir, don't you remember me? I'm the, I'm the kid that you saved. You held me. You held me. You saved my life. The judge motioned to the officers and he looks at Dave and he says, I do remember you. Son, that day I was your savior, but today I'm your judge. Guys, now is the time for Jesus, for God to be our savior because one day he will deal with our sin. I want us to search our hearts just for a moment as we, we close. Lord, I ask you to come and speak to us in this moment. By the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal things in us. You are not a, you're not here to condemn us. You're here to bring us to repentance. You're here to lead us. You're here to clean out those areas of our lives that whether we see it or not are destroying our lives. Come and bring healing in this place and come and be very clear, Holy Spirit. We thank you for that.